and peace be unto you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today begins Holy Week. You could call it the holiest of weeks, the most important week in world history. This is the week we've been leading up to with the entire first half of the church here. So way back on the first Sunday in Advent, we had the very same gospel reading. Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey as the people cry out, Save us now. In fact, it's because of that, because we begin and end this part of the church here on a very similar note, that our closing hymn for today is this hymn we opened up Advent with. So it brings it all together for us. And this morning we want to consider the importance of this week, especially Jesus riding into Jerusalem, what that means for us and our salvation. But more specifically, we want to look at how does Jesus conquer? How does Jesus conquer as king? Now, throughout the church here, we've been looking at various prophecies and fulfillments. Matthew's very clear on this. He'll give us something and say, this was to fulfill what the prophet said or what the prophet said. And much of that, especially if you remember way back to Advent and Christmas, it was all providential orchestration. It was the Father orchestrating events to happen just as they needed to. Jesus was a baby. He wasn't deliberately doing anything. The Father was orchestrating everything for him so that it might happen exactly the way it needed to. Each step of the way, each day of his life, he was doing exactly what the Father set out for him to do. That he might fulfill all things for us and our salvation. At other times, Jesus is quite deliberate in fulfilling prophecy, quite deliberate in his actions. And we have that here this morning. Holy Week is all very deliberate. There are no accidents with it. In Holy Week, this is part of Jesus' conscious strategy to bring about confrontation. He wants to provoke the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. He wants to make them angry. He knows that everything that he does is going to get an angry reaction. It will indeed lead to his crucifixion. And he knows that. He's not surprised when they get angry with him, when they put him on trial. It's all part of the plan. It happens exactly the way Jesus wants it to. So when he asks them to go get the donkey and the cult of the donkey and to bring them to him and he rides on that donkey into Jerusalem, he is choosing the moment in time of the confrontation that would bring about his death. But what is Jesus saying in his actions? What is he confessing? What is he doing that he knows is going to upset them? Well, Jesus is claiming to be the king. And they know this. Think about what Matthew quotes from Zechariah chapter 9. Behold, who's coming to you? Your king. And the king does this how? On a donkey. This is a royal act, and Jesus knows it. Not only that, but in Genesis 49, a passage you probably kind of skim over, there's a beautiful prophecy that Jacob gives to his son Judah. And he tells Judah, he says, The scepter shall not depart from you. And then right after that, there's a strange verse about a donkey and its colt and a vine and all these things. Jesus knows that passage too. 
Jesus knows that he is the one from the line of Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah, the one from whom truly the scepter will never depart. Now, in our mind, donkeys are not very royal. You don't look at a donkey and think, wow, that animal's fit for a king. None of you have ever thought that in your entire life. You've never looked at a donkey or a mule and said, wow, that's what the president should ride in on. And yet in the Bible, donkeys were a royal animal. Donkeys and mules were used by the kings. Part of that is because especially the mule became rare. It's a rare thing for them to have. And so it's a symbol of royalty. It's a symbol of peace. And there's several other things going on here that are very important that Matthew wants us to pay attention to. Because again, nothing in the Bible is by accident. Nothing Jesus does is by accident. By coming on these two donkeys to the valley of Kidron into Jerusalem, Jesus reverses David's exit of Jerusalem when he's fleeing for his life from Absalom. The Bible tells us very clearly David had two donkeys to flee on. Jesus, as the greater David, reverses that ride and he comes in, not at that moment because they're out to get him, but to do the very thing that will provoke them to take his life. Whereas David flees from Absalom to preserve his life, Jesus will reverse that course right in so that they might take his life. And so too with the royal welcome. We read in Matthew that people threw their garments on the ground, that they threw these branches on the ground. There was another one in the Old Testament whom we read that had, indeed, garments thrown before him. That was King Jehu. It was after he had acted as God's avenger to take out God's vengeance on Ahab's house. And just like Jehu, Jesus is headed right to a temple that is going to be destroyed. But I want to point out something very, very significant. This is fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is doing exactly what he's supposed to do according to the Father's plan. And yet, as always with our Lord, there is a twist. You heard me read Zechariah 9. I'll cut off the chariots. I'll break the bow. Is that what happened on this day? Did Jesus go in and throw off Rome? That's what a lot of the people wanted. That's what they were expecting. But did Jesus do that? No. In Zechariah 9, it sounds like the king will bring peace through a war of conquest. Well, Jesus has been at war. From his birth all the way through, he's been battling sin, death, the curse that sin brought upon us, Satan and his demons. He is a conqueror. But how does he conquer? And this is where the twist comes in. This is where it's so different. Jesus does not come in on a battle horse ready to wage war. Jesus conquers through meekness. He conquers through the cross. He conquers through humility and submission to his Father's plan. That's how he conquers. He rides in indeed as a fulfillment. He is the son of David. He is the greater Jehu, the avenger of the Lord. He is the greater Mo Moses, the prophet of the Exodus. He is the true son, the true king of Judah, the one who will reign forever. And yet, he is more and he does more. 
And think about the very next thing, which we did not read, but happens right after this. Matthew has Jesus seemingly riding right to the temple where he gets out and does what? He cleanses the temple. Right? He who is the very temple of God in the flesh, where the very fullness of the presence of God dwells bodily on earth. It's far greater than the temple that Solomon built. And he comes into a temple that's been overrun with false worship and false piety and wickedness. And he cleanses the temple. Why? Because he's come to be the true temple. What did he say? Destroy this temple and what? In three days, I'll raise it back up. He comes to conquer by and through his cross. Through meekness, humility, and submission. So Paul will say in our reading from Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, that is, of a slave, in coming the likeness of men. Already at this point, Paul's saying, he humbled himself and did all of this, what, through great meekness. And, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's what Jesus does. That is how he conquers. And so he's saying in one of my favorite hymns, well, any Paul Gerhardt hymn is my favorite hymn, but for today, a lamb goes uncomplaining forth. A lamb goes uncomplaining forth, the guilt of sinners bearing, and laden with the sins of earth, no, none else the burden sharing. Goes patient on, grows weak and faint, to slaughter led without complaint. That spotless life to offer. He bears the stripes, the wounds, the lies, the mockery, and yet replies, all this I gladly suffer. I don't think you will find a more beautiful summary of Isaiah chapter 53 anywhere. It's magnificent. Because that's exactly what we read in Isaiah chapter 53, which we'll hear this Friday. <coughs> Jesus bears all of this as the spotless Lamb of God. He bears all of it patiently. And he even says, all this I gladly suffer. Why? The end of Isaiah 53 tells us. Because he saw the end result of what he would do. He could see that he was going to win salvation for his people. And so he gladly suffered it. He did it with joy. As he wrote in. In humility. So Gerhardt in the very next line will say, This lamb, this lamb is the soul's great friend. Right? Jesus said that he is our friend, that no greater love has a man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That's exactly what Jesus does to begins this week. He's writing in that he might provoke, might bring about his death in God's perfect timing. So then, how do we conquer? If that's how Jesus conquers, how then do we as Christians conquer? And I think this is hard for us, because the way we conquer is like Jesus. We conquer in humility and meekness. We've been looking at this as we've studied the book of James on Sundays in our Bible study. 
And we've seen that the audience James is writing to is they're, they're angry. They're being persecuted. And they want to react to that persecution. How? Through violent rhetoric, violent words. Some of them, the zealots are even tempted to murder their opponents, to exact vengeance on them. They don't want to suffer humility and meekness. They want to take matters into their own hands. They want to be in control. They want to do that which Jesus did not do. And James tells them again and again, this is not the way. This is not the way that we as Christians handle persecution. We suffer, even if necessary to the point of death, in meekness and humility. So this week, as I'm sure you know, a Christian school was targeted. Now, we don't have the manifesto yet, but it's pretty obvious for those who have eyes to see. Covenant Presbyterian School in Nashville, Covenant Church, is a PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America. As I've been telling people this week, they're basically the uh, LCMS of Presbyterians. In nearly every way, they're almost identical to us from the infighting that they have over various issues, very similar to us. They're confessional, they're conservative, all of those things very similar to us. And so this one, especially because I saw friends in the PCA, I know someone whose son worked at that church, works there currently, hit me a little differently than other shootings have. Because I thought that could have been here. That could have been us, very easily. That could have been this place. And I saw one of those political talking heads, I saw tweets, a uh, so-called conservative one, that said, I found it ironic, given what I was getting ready to preach on, that most pastors this week will, week will preach on turning the other cheek. And he thought that was wicked. And that was wrong. But how does a Christian conquer? Is it to take up arms against this demonic movement that is the transgender movement? It's not. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we should see these people as being in captivity to the devil. In fact, I believe this is a spiritual battle. I believe that's why this church was targeted. This school was targeted. Because it's spiritual. It's a spiritual warfare. And don't get me wrong. Don't mishear me. I sent recommendations to the school board about things I thought we could do to make our security better here. So don't misunderstand that. But the way we win this battle that's raging in our culture, this demonic attack on the church, is not through violent rhetoric. It's not through taking up arms. It's through humility and meekness as we proclaim the meek and humble Savior. That is how we change hearts and minds. We're not going to do it any other way. There is no other Christian way to do it. And so if you see those things and it makes you angry, and it, it'll make you angry. If you see what some people said about that event, and you're disgusted, as you should be. We cannot, though, then say, well, we're going to fight fire with fire. I'm sorry, it's not the way it works. We, like Jesus conquer through meekness and humility. We conquer through suffering. We conquer, if need be, by 
laying down our lives for the name of Jesus. Because just like Jesus, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Jesus exalts you in Christ. Think about it. In him, and Paul talks about this, in him, none of you are wise according to the flesh. In him, none of you, apart from him, none of you are powerful. Apart from him, we're not wealthy, we're not well-born. Paul says God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord's. We here are made up of the lame, the blind, the weak. And yet, in Christ Jesus, we've been made priests and kings. Through his meekness, he gains all authority on heaven and earth, and the Bible tells us that he shares that authority with you. So that in him we are more than conquerors, through Christ Jesus our Lord, who loved us and gave up his life for us. He was humbled and exalted, and we too in him will be exalted. But not fully yet. And so as we await that day when we receive our full exaltation in him, where we reign, rule and reign with him for all eternity... We patiently bear the cross, we bear suffering, and we welcome him as he comes to us this morning by singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Save us now, O Lord. Save us now. Because we are assaulted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Matthew records for us in the Beatitudes, 16 chapters before this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Why do the meek inherit the earth? It's because Jesus conquered through his meekness, through his humility, through his suffering and death. So that in him we already have the victory. In him it's already decided. In him you already have life and salvation. And so if something happens to us, we still win. Because we're in him. Amen. The peace of God passes on your standing, guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.